This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. Hello adventurers, it is Fran here and just a heads up for this episode. So this episode goes into some detail on the consequences of potentially having seizures whilst in the water. So just to be aware that that's where some of the conversation is heading. There are a couple of swear words that slip out just towards the end there as well. That's all the housekeeping for the moment. On with the show. This is Frankie York and you're listening to the Seizure Adventure Podcast. If you've been keeping up to date with our social media and our episodes, you should recognise this voice. But if you don't, I'm Franz intern. I've been doing a few bits here and there behind the scenes, but today I'm honoured to announce that she's entrusting me with the microphone and it's time to tell my own story. To do so, I've enlisted the help of some very special people to offer their insight into how epilepsy, other seizure conditions or any other additional needs impact other members of the adventure community. And as our title suggests, we're going to be talking about surfing, seizures and safety. Also a little bit about support, but that didn't sound as catchy. Each of my guests has had an invaluable contribution, not only to this episode, but to my overall experience of balancing my condition with my passion for surfing. Jesse and Zim, for example, they're close friends of mine. And we'll be talking a little bit about the degree of responsibility that people around us have for our own safety and how this can impact friendships. Jesse is also the former vice president of our University Surf Society. So we're also going to be talking about responsibility in a more formal manner, sort of what goes into surf trip planning. I also have Simon with me, who very kindly agreed to come on the podcast. I met Simon in the place in Wales where I go with my friends and family, as we use his business and surf school, Abra Adventures, to hire surf material. And you can see what I get up to over there on the Seizure Adventure Instagram. Simon's going to talk to me more about his experiences of water safety in a professional capacity, discuss the accessibility of learning to surf when you have additional needs or safety concerns, such as someone like me who's at risk of having a seizure. For me, surfing's more than a sport. It's a passion, an addiction, or a lifestyle. And when I asked my wonderful guests, they had very similar things to say. It's basically like my passion that I never knew I had. You're kind of like facing a challenge, but it's also like really refreshing. It's escapism in its purest form. You're really leaving the thing behind on the land, you know. It's, it's kind of nice just to go and be in an environment that's so different from your everyday life. Unlike Jared Muscat, who featured on episode four of this season, I didn't have a great deal of surfing experience before I started having seizures. I had had one lesson in Cornwall when I was around nine and immediately fell in love with it. So much so that I begged my dad to help me use my pocket money to buy a phone board for our holidays to Wales. Obviously, being the best dad in the world, he agreed. But regrettably, that board was seldom used over the next decade. Right, I have a terrible habit of rambling. So let me give you some context and then we'll hear from my wonderful guests. Epilepsy runs in my family. So when I had my first seizure, I wasn't in the least bit surprised, confused or afraid. I was, however, absolutely devastated. The way I saw it, the seizures I was experiencing threatened everything my life had been building up to at that point. I was 16, so just beginning to gain my independence, discovering boys and alcohol, desperate to learn to drive, and considering what I might want to do with my future. 
Emotions run high when you're 16. Adding frequent debilitating seizures into the melting pot really knocked my confidence. In my case, at least, frequent seizures is directly related to my stress levels. So by the time I finished my A-levels, I decided for the benefit of my health that I really should take some time off. Hesitantly, my parents let me go off travelling. This was my first big adventure. I lived in Chile for around nine months teaching English, and then I went off around all of South America. Miraculously, I only suffered two seizures in the whole year. I was in Ecuador when I made a friend who asked if I wanted to go surfing with him. When I said yes, I hadn't thought twice about my seizures. And luckily, that hazard was never realised. But in hindsight, I really should have taken more care. From that day, my passion for surfing was reignited. When I came home to start my degree at University of Manchester, joining the Surf Society seemed like the obvious next step to cultivate my skills. Unfortunately, my first term at university was accompanied with several academic and personal stresses, and therefore a huge spike in the amount of seizures I was having. And all the confidence that I built up on my adventure dissipated at a dramatic rate. Once again, I was terrified to even leave my house, let alone go surfing. And this, this broke my heart. I'm sure many of our listeners are well acquainted with the idea that having seizures can be a very traumatic, devastating, exhausting and isolating experience. In some cases, it's even life-threatening. And when you're going through that, it's very easy to forget that it also burdens those close to you. I know I'm guilty of this. To this day, I've never witnessed another person have a seizure and I have no idea how I'd react in that moment. But for my friends and family, it's a regular occurrence. I digress. With the support of some incredible people over time, I was tentatively getting back into the water. And now I can confidently surf anywhere in any weather or soil condition and trust that I know my body and limitations well enough to stay safe. Learning to surf really changed my life and the relationship I have with my condition. But it definitely isn't without risk. And I do have to say I've had a few very close calls, which is why now I'm so passionate about promoting safe surfing. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Simon to give us a crash course in beach safety and protocol. Thank you very much for joining me, Simon. You're welcome. We've spoken a little bit about surfing and stuff like that when you have additional needs. But what I don't know, Simon, is how you got into surfing. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I think uh, the first time I tried it was in an activity centre when I was 14. It was on a like a school trip like an activity week we got to do loads of activities and that's and I think from then on I was like yeah I quite like this um and then playing around on polystyrene body body boards on holiday that's what got me started just went from there right so we're going to talk a little bit about safety we both know that surfing can inherently be dangerous if you don't respect the sea anyway and then to add any sort of additional safety needs is another sort of thing to consider so obviously you have your surf school in your hire shop that means you are a surf instructor can you talk me through the steps of how you become a surf instructor okay it can be quite a relatively short process to gain the qualifications finding your level of competence is quite high so the training that goes into it it's, it's quite a lot first of all you, you need a beach lifeguard qualification recognized by the isa international surfing association or one of the other bodies that issue surf instructor qualifications and even though the qualification itself only takes a week the amount of training that needs to go into it in terms of fitness 
and your board handling and patient handling is it's quite a lot so a lot of people come into it quite ill prepared and find it really hard to actually pass the lifeguard course because it is a it's a very intense course after that you then need to gain a surf instructor qualification we chose to go down the route of international surfing association that's kind of like the I would probably say the industry standard across the world. They are the governing body. And those two qualifications are your minimum that you need to be a surf surf instructor. When we've spoken previously about when I originally asked you to come on the podcast, you mentioned that you were a Coast Guard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought you might be an EMT or something, or like you've got some sort of medical training. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I'm a volunteer on both lifeboat, the RLNI, so don't do the same training level as, as high as EMT. We do basically like a crash course in it. So we learn what we need to do, not in terms of like the training that those guys get when they go on their big thing. It's like a 12 week intensive course. They kind of learn the whys, the where's and the therefores, whereas we just learn like this is happening. These are the symptoms. This is what you need to do. So it's it's kind of basic in that aspect, but it is it's a similar level to what EMT is. And do you have confidence that if you were in the water with someone or you were called to do some sort of rescue that if someone was having a seizure or drowning that you would know to do yeah yeah i think done so many lifeguard courses now and then the rlni casualty care which is what it's called can't think how many times i've redone my lifeguard it must be seven eight times maybe more now to obviously hold these qualifications are you required to refresh and update them on a regular like a regular interval yeah, yeah, we are. Um, I think the the lifeguard is two years in Wales. England, it's every year you have to update. And then RLNI casualty care is every three years. So plus we're, we're always doing training anyway, kind of routine training. Okay, that's, that's great. Thank you. It's always good to know that our local surf instructors and lifeguards are equipped with the knowledge to handle the situation if anything serious happened while a person's surfing. But let's bring this a bit closer to home. We're going to go to Jessie to talk about surfing and planning with the University Society. Hello, how are you doing? Hello. So obviously this past year you have been very influential in my surf career, if you will, being Vice President of UMSC. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what your role has involved and like the challenges that you might have faced? So I feel like as Vice President, it was a very supportive role. So like, yes, you kind of were in charge, but president was in charge. And I think it was my job to make sure that like everybody else in committee, like knew what they were doing, like had everything they needed to do their job and then sort of had me there, kind of help them along and guide them and pick up the pieces a little bit. But then I think it was also when it came down to it, making those decisions and being like, this is what's happening. And I think I was definitely sometimes a bit bossy. But I think sometimes with surfers, it's a case of like, come on, this is what we're doing. Let's get moving. So I think it was a bit of a mixture of kind of like taking charge, but then also kind of supporting everybody else in committee. The biggest challenge is definitely kind of like the behind the scenes organisation, undoubtedly. Making sure that you've got like everybody's information, you've got everything organised from food to like transportation And then just kind of keeping on top of everybody and that kind of behind the scenes organisation is definitely the hardest bit. Do you want to tell me a little bit about like safety in the club? So obviously we go on big trips, there's like 50, 60 of us, sometimes even more. What do you guys have to do as committee to make sure that everyone's safe? Is there forms and stuff that need to be filled in? So on the one side... 
you do have quite a lot of responsibility. So at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the like academic year, we fill in a risk assessment for like for this year, kind of updated it a little bit, kind of added bits and bobs. But yeah, you have to have a really comprehensive risk assessment in terms of where you're going. So we're classed as a like high extreme sport. We're classed as like there's like three categories and we come in the highest extreme danger, like chances of injury. Yeah, so we have to go from stuff like people get like we've had incidents of people getting like hit in the face with a surfboard, someone getting caught in like a riptide and not necessarily being able to get out from the sea, even just small injuries like cuts and scrapes. And you kind of have to take all of these into consideration and put them in a risk assessment. And then whenever we go, we have like on my phone, I have the emergency contacts of like the university sports officer, the university security team. Like I have their numbers if need be so that if something happened to anybody, I can contact the university, contact parents really quickly. So, yeah, so we do take on that responsibility. We had everything on, but I had to put you in that risk assessment. You were like a high risk person. So it was not a case of like, we can't let it happen. It was more like, if it happens, this is the procedure to contact your parents, like chance of it happening. So it went in the risk assessment so that if we had to take you to hospital, it wasn't like we hadn't communicated that with the university. Yeah. But then on the other side of it, because it's a university club, because we're not your parents, we're all adults, we actually don't take, like in a way, we don't take responsibility for what happens. Like, of course, if things happen, we're there, we will get you to hospital, we will do everything we can. But it's actually individual responsibility that it comes down to. Like, if you injure yourself, that doesn't fall on my head. It's your own responsibility you chose to get on the sea. Like, I'm just there as like an organizer so it's kind of like a two-way thing yes we do but then at the same time you're an adult like if you want to get in the sea that's totally on you and if you get injured again that's totally on you it's kind of a mix (laughs) that's cool that's really interesting because I knew I knew there'd be a lot of like due procedure with health and safety irrespective of myself but it's really interesting to hear like what you guys have to go through so obviously there's a clear line that no one is your responsibility but do you feel that you have to draw the line personally somewhere where you're like oh like trying not to get yourself so involved because like you say these are all your best friends yeah I think so like I definitely I would definitely kind of maybe describe myself as a little bit more uptight a little bit more kind of anxious as a person so like I sometimes and obviously some people in surf are just very fun people and I think sometimes I do find it hard. I think the thing for me is that I never really mind when they're all going a bit crazy and like doing silly things whatever but I think it frustrates me when that impacts the people around them. In terms of like drawing personal boundaries with health and safety like when it comes to medical things and health and safety things like I do get a bit twitchy but I do always step in and I like to think that sometimes I think the people around me are a little bit like oh Jesse just like let's have fun but then they also know that if something was to happen like I'd be there I've got a first aid kit I will look after you maybe I like to think that anybody is like ah Jesse you'll have a plaster <laughs> so now I feel a bit more informed on the matter of safety and risk I want to go a little bit deeper again and I want to talk about my friends about this responsibility and how taking all of these safety matters into consideration can impact friendships. 
So I asked Jesse and Zim about their experiences of surfing with me, and this is what they had to say. It was kind of a bit difficult as in to like know when to let you take responsibility and then also be like, do I step in? Do, do I not? I think as a committee member and as somebody who's like your friend, I think something that is challenging is kind of how much of your issues we take on in terms of you're going to get in the sea because you want to get in the sea and that is totally your choice. But I think it's that thing of like you've always had a few others who know how to look after you when you have a seizure but I wouldn't really know what to do like I could try but I wouldn't really know and I think it's that thing of like as a committee we made the decision that it's your choice like as long as you've decided that like there's people around you that have got the, the stuff that you need for when you had a seizure and there's people that are looking out for you then kind of like we sort of took a bit of a back step with it who are we to tell you what to do but I think it was always sometimes a bit unnerving when like maybe they weren't there which wasn't very often but it was like if they're not there it was a little bit like well what do we do do we take on that responsibility because it's like another thing to think about in terms of everything else but I think in terms of like the health and safety mitigation thing we never like again it was a thing of you you make your own choices which is wonderful and you go on the trips etc but I think it was more a case of like making the university aware but then also kind of more like the procedures of when if it got really bad kind of thing so say you got taken to hospital it was more discussing like one of us would go to hospital with you in terms of contacting parents like at what point we contact your parents and like thing and it was never a case of like if you just had a fit it was in case like it got really bad and we had to hospitalize you knowing the point that we had to then call your parents call university potentially get you out the country and bring you home like it was that more extreme like that's what risk assessments are about the steps we would take if we needed to like get you home if you were like really ill I can't say it hasn't changed my outlook a little bit. You have to think about a lot of things and I, I never took it into consideration as, oh, what, what would happen if that happened to me? Do you, when you surf with me, feel any enhanced sense of responsibility? It absolutely used to be, for sure. I think when I was first getting in the water with you, when you're surfing, you have to look at the waves, don't you? And a lot of time I was looking back and trying to be like, you know, I can't see Frankie, where is she? Like, because obviously it's quite hard sometimes in the white water. And that there was that moment of panic, that at the start. But then I started realizing, like, you, you know the risk, you're going in. As, I don't feel, I shouldn't say I don't feel responsibility as such. I would always go out of my way to do something to help you in those situations. But it is your decision. I'm not forcing you to get in the ocean. I'm not pushing you to get in you you know what you want and again putting myself in that situation I would be getting in the ocean as well I, and I, it doesn't matter what anybody would say to me I would be getting in and I would hope that they would look after me but that is my decision and my responsibility so I assumed after a while of surfing with you that that is how you also feel yeah hit the nail on the head then because like I wouldn't ever want to put my life into someone's hand I wouldn't want to go out with someone and say right you are solely responsible for my health and safety in this session because that's really not how this works but I just wanted to get a sense of like how other people feel like when I'm surfing because for me I obviously talk a lot about 
how I feel when I surf and how it's been such a big journey for me from those times when I used to literally have seizures as soon as I hit the sand. But I forgot actually that it was an experience for everyone else that came with me. I forgot that everyone had to go through that as well. So I just, I'm kind of getting everyone to go back and let me know how they felt almost. But um, yeah, so as you know, I've been surfing for a while now and that has been directly linked to the improvements I've had in my health. And these days I'm markedly much healthier than I was when we first met, when we first started surfing together. And that's definitely due to learning how my body works and what my triggers are and eating right and so many factors. I think this year, especially, like when we've been surfing together, you've not even had one. You were a lot better on land and then that felt that made us feel a lot more better going in the water with you not as well obviously still a little bit worried but as we've got better people were worried about you left us that made sense right what advice would you give to someone that's affected by seizures that's either looking to rediscover an adventure sport or just get into one like surfing for example I think my advice would be like absolutely go for it I love outdoor activities I think I'd be mindful of two things. I'd be mindful of doing what you do and making sure that the people around you, at least like two or three people around you, know what to do. Like a what if scenario. Like don't start it and then be like, oh, this is happening. Get people down and show them what they need to do. If this arises, you have a seizure, how do they help you? Because they can scare people, people panic, etc. But I think I'd also, I'd also be mindful, and I know it's something you're mindful of, asking that person if it's okay because I know sometimes when you're in that vulnerable situation I've done it with my friends before when I've not been okay you just put it on them and then suddenly you're their responsibility and they never actually agreed to it so I think it's like both those things just make sure you've got the things in place to help you and then making sure that the people around you are comfortable with it and then go ahead go crazy have fun (laughs) I think two things one Take advantage of technology. It can be a bit expensive sometimes, but there is a lot of technology out there which you can you know, take advantage of in order to make it a lot safer for you. For instance, when you go out and surf, I think that you should actually have, I know it's really annoying, but a wrist walkie-talkie with someone you're going in the water with. Because a large amount of the time it was, all right, okay, where's Frankie? Where's she going? If I had a wrist walkie-talkie, I could literally just go, are you still okay? Are you alive? (laughs) Is that a thing? Yeah. I guess you can't really control this as much, but have good people around you. (laughs) Join clubs. Make them them some cakes or something like that. I don't know. Become friends with people who are involved in the sport. And most of the time, they'll, like I said, go through the thing I've gone through, appreciating the fact that if they were in your shoes, they would want to have someone there to help them when they want to do that sport or activity. So it might not happen straight away, but it will happen eventually with most people in any type of sport. So surround yourself with good people then. Okay, so we've talked about what advice you'd give someone in my position. What advice would you give someone in your position, maybe a friend or a family member who's got someone with a condition like mine saying, I really want to get into this. What would you say to the person that was in the supporting role? I think my advice would just be really open and honest conversation about it, kind of tackling the issue, not like hiding from it. Because sometimes it can be overwhelming to acknowledge that you've got the responsibility of somebody with a health condition. 
but just being like that is an issue you're going to face so deal with it talk to them ask them the things that you need to know and then also kind of tell them in a way like your expectations sometimes having to say no sometimes having to communicate that it's not going to necessarily be plausible I would say make sure they're aware of all the risks and dangers before so like obviously whenever we take a new person starting you have to make sure that they're aware of all the risks and dangers I would overemphasize these risks and dangers to that person and reflect on how those dangers and risks might be influenced even more by their condition. For instance, okay, for in the case of epilepsy, you, I know when you get tired or when you used to get tired, you would have more likely have a seizure. So for instance, if I know I'm going into water with a strong rip or strong current out back, which is quite known for that, maybe I need to let them know not to serve in those conditions just yet. Or maybe do a lot of swimming practice beforehand if they're, if they're able to, of course. Um, but just making sure that they're more, more aware than usual of the dangers and risks and how their conditions are influenced by those. That's cool. Okay, is there... Anything that you wish that I had said a year ago or whenever we first started surfing, is there anything you wish you'd known? Because I have, I have a few regrets. I put my hands up and say there's times I've surfed when I shouldn't have or stayed in the water when I shouldn't have. I've done things that have impacted people and hurt people. And I, anything that you wish you'd known or you wish that I'd said that could have made our whole journey together a little bit easier on both of us? As far as things go you informed us as much as you should have. And actually the person who was in charge of the rest was already there. If they weren't there, then I would have preferred a conversation, a more in-depth conversation about the risks towards us and what we would have to be doing as a result. Does that, does that kind of make sense? That Well, that's, yeah, that's really good to know because like I say, there's times that I've pushed myself when I shouldn't have done and there's times that things have happened that obviously shouldn't have happened and I need to not make, I don't know if it's make amends or like, I think I just need to explore that for my own cathartic reasons. But also this journey has been so unique. So trying to navigate all of these things with our friends and with our health and stuff, it's just, it's quite tricky. I mean, I've never thought you've wronged me. I'll say that. It's a really lovely spot. Like, you want a wave. You don't want anybody else to get that wave because you're on that wave. You don't want as many people to be there. And I think we have to grow out of that as a sport quite a lot, actually. That's really saying something. But wronged, annoyed, pissed off sometimes. Yeah. But if you're not getting pissed off at your mate, why are you mates? And lastly, is there anything that you thought I would ask you that I haven't? Is it, Or is there anything else that you want to say? I'd only say, like, have a bit more faith in other people and not not to worry about it as such but maybe just take it from their point of view it's like they are probably wanting to do it and most of the time they'll tell you otherwise they'll kind of if someone really was didn't want to do it they, they really would tell you they are doing it because they want to kind of help you out and most of the time they understand the position you're in and maybe just pick up on their feelings a little bit more in terms of how you might be able to reduce their worry Hello there, my name is Cathy Kamleitner and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Wild for Scotland. If you enjoy travelling, spending time outside, learning about nature 
or simply relaxing to a good story, check out Wild for Scotland and join me for inspiring journeys from the cobbled streets of Edinburgh to the sandy beaches of the Western Isles. We go on scenic road trips up and down the country, hop from island to island, immerse ourselves in Scottish history, culture and landscapes, and meet passionate locals who love sharing their own little corners of Scotland. Think of it like story time for adults that inspires you to head out and learn about the world around you. So join me on the Wild for Scotland podcast. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. There's one person who was by my side for the whole of this journey. Yet, when I asked them if they could share their experience, they refused. Citing firstly, they didn't want to rehash the trauma. And secondly, that they wouldn't be able to live with themselves knowing that they had encouraged anyone with any kind of additional needs or safety requirements to take up surfing. And this really got me thinking about accessibility in sport. Luckily, I knew I could turn to Simon with all my questions. Here's what he had to say. We get all the time people with additional needs do run, it's called Surf Rider Club, so it is, it's for children with disabilities in Ceredigion. So we get, we get a, a huge variety of different additional needs. So people with Down syndrome, some people are quite severe on the autistic spectrum, and of course all the other health conditions. We also do a lot of work with um, guys with quite severe learning disabilities. So again, quite high additional needs, you know. They're probably the most rewarding lessons that, that we do, I would have said. And just because you, you kind of you're taking people into an environment that's so totally alien for them. And a lot of the time they're just like you can just see it's almost like a light bulb flicks on. They're like, my God, this is amazing. I love that. So obviously you've trained with the ISA. Do you think the additional needs training from the ISA is adequate? Would you say that you're obviously you've got experience now and you know how to handle all these people with additional needs. But would you say that? the minimum sort of standard is adequate or there could be more to make it more accessible? Definitely more. The ISA qualifications don't really tend to, well, they certainly didn't when I did them. They never really concentrated on any kind of inclusivity. I think now things have changed a lot. It's been a while since I did my first ISA qualification. In fact, any, any surf qualification is probably about five, six years now, my last surf qualification. But I think adaptive surfing especially is, has really taken hold. It's like a massive thing now. There's a lot more charities that are doing stuff. So I don't think the ISA are doing enough in terms of promoting inclusivity. But I think there's a lot of charities that have kind of taken up the ball and, and are kind of like working towards it and making it easier. Plus as well, in, especially in our area, we've got quite a lot of inclusivity in normal sports which has filtered through to us. So we've done courses with Kedadigion, and I'm trying to remember what it's called, but basically it's about inclusivity, but it's a very general broad spectrum. So obviously we've, we've just kind of had to adapt it and look at how we can adopt our health and safety to, to fit in with anybody that does, does need additional support in the water. What do you think could be done to make water sports more accessible for people with additional needs of any sort of description? And if you could make any changes what would they be? I think it would be it'd be nice for the International Surfing Association qualifications to put in inclusivity into their qualification. More and more surf schools around the world are, are basically using surfing as a form of therapy. And it would just be nice if, if they kind of brought that inclusivity in and just gave people some kind of ideas of what to do. We, we were very much in the dark and we were like, right, okay, well, how can we facilitate 
surf lessons for these guys in, uh, in the surf rider club. So we kind of, there wasn't any, any protocol to follow. Um, it would be nice to see that protocol filter down. Also, just for coaches that go through that qualification to get some kind of training and some kind of idea of what to expect and what to do and ideas of what they can do. It would just, it would be lovely to see it, you know. So that, that's kind of what I'd want to see from the ISA as opposed to kind of having to go off your own back to do it. Creating this episode has given me a lot of food for thought and I'm very excited to see where I might be able to take these ideas in the future. But for now, I'm going to leave you with some concluding remarks from my wonderful guests. But now I'll ask our famous question. So what does adventure mean to you? I think I just love exploring new places. It makes me calm. It makes me really happy. It makes me just feel like myself. And I've done a lot of things because I think I should do it or because it's what you're meant to do. But I think just going somewhere being somewhere new or even somewhere that you know exploring it whether it's like climbing it or like kayaking or hiking up a hill like walking around a city all those kinds of things I think it's really just a case of like being with yourself exploring somewhere having fun seeing new things pushing yourself a little bit exploring things which you haven't done before so doing something which you are not comfortable with and finding out something about yourself as a result of that it's kind of like a break in reality it's like a chance to step away from your everyday life i think maybe to me sometimes getting a bit scared maybe going outside your comfort zone do something different do something exciting just that chance to step away from what you normally do as always thank you so much for listening and remember if you want to support the podcast you can do so on our patreon Don't forget to seize your adventure. Hello, adventurers. It is Fran just sliding back in here to say thank you very much to Frankie for that amazing episode. It was a fantastic idea to get some responses from the people that have supported her through her journey. And I think it just really goes to show the adventures, even when they are done solo, are never really done alone. Thank you very much to everyone that Frankie spoke to and everyone that I know helped her behind the scenes as well in terms of doing some of the recording and we had a few technical difficulties and some of her friends over in Spain helped out with that on site as well. So thank you to everyone that has been involved in this episode. But of course, to Frankie most of all, it has been an honour to help you tell this story. Although, to be honest with you, you took it and ran with it and made this episode completely your own. So thank you so much for the work that you've put in. As Frankie said at the end there, Seize Your Adventure is on Patreon and the support from listeners such as yourselves really helps to keep this show going. The patrons that we currently have are donating just enough to keep things even in terms of what's going in and what's going out each month. But it would be really great if we can start making a teeny tiny bit of profit and pay for some of the time that we're putting into the episodes. So if you are finding value in the work that we are doing, please do consider becoming a patron. Patrons also get bonus content. This was the last episode of the season, so it's going to be a couple of months before you get a new episode from us. And season three might sound a little bit different to the episodes that you've had so far. 
But if you would like some content between seasons, if you join as a patron at the $5 and above level, you are going to get some bonus episodes between now and season three. So if you don't want to miss us, do consider joining up at that level and you get to hear our voices every single month. You will also will be added to the patron only newsletter and that gives you some behind the microphone news and it gives you first look at what is happening in season three as well. If you can't support financially, I do appreciate that as well, particularly in these times. I want you to know that both me and Frankie appreciate everyone out there who is listening If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it around. We are really close to 5,000 downloads and I'm really hoping that this episode will just push us over before the end of the season. So do share it around and hopefully we'll be able to announce that on our social media very, very shortly. The short interlude music in today's episode came from Kev Rowe on SoundCloud. Thank you all for joining us today and until next time, safe adventures everyone. This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network.